Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to the Relatable Voice podcast. The RV today is on the road to Oklahoma to speak with Bob Toswick. Bob is a retired college and NFL player who has published some books. His latest book is called Mass Transit, and it's available now. So, Bob, welcome to the RV. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm very happy to visit Oklahoma. I've never been to Oklahoma before. Bob, we have something in common. English is not our first language. So what is your first language and how old were you when you learned English? Well, my language was Polish. My grandparents were Polish. My grandfather immigrated to the United States and became a coal miner where he met my grandmother, who was first generation American, but came from Poland. And uh, I lived with them, basically. So I learned Polish uh, when I was born. And I just found this out about 10 or 15 years ago. When I was born, my dad uh, showed up at the hospital. And the day I was born, he just left and went away. And then after my mom exited the hospital, she went to look for him. So she left me with my grandparents, who basically spoke Polish. So I picked up Polish and didn't speak English until I was about 10 years old, where the Polish nuns then forced me to speak English. But so I wish I had the Polish language now. Now I have a few words that I can say. Uh, some of them are colorful. Some of them are off color. But every now and then I hear a word and I know what it means. Uh -huh. And I think if I was around Polish speaking people, I would love to pick up the language again. But mm -hmm. I'm still working on improving my English, I think. No, your English is just perfect. You have no accent at all. Thank and, you. But do you think if you were close to people who were speaking Polish, you think you can understand some how some words or the context i can't i can't understand Here, here's a little story uh, a couple of years ago uh we were in santa barbara california where our daughter lives and we lived in southern california at the time and there was a polish tourist group went by and a group of maybe 10 or 12 people with a tourist guide pointing out the highlights to the city downtown and I knew what the Polish, they were speaking in Polish, and I knew what the guy, the lady guide said to the group. And part of it was a comment about me, and I'm 6'6", six, six, so I'm, I tower over a lot of people. So their comments were about me and how tall this American is next to them. And I knew what they said, so I responded to them in Polish, and suddenly I get 12 people just looking at me like, how did he know what we said? So it kind of startled them, but it, 
suddenly I understood what they were saying and it just came to me out of nowhere. So I know it's embedded in my brain and I would love to relearn the language. And you were saying that you were 6.6, which you are really, really tall. <laughs> well, I got tall real early in life. Well, I, through eighth grade, I was average normal height and I just started shooting up. And then one day I'm 6'6". So here I am. And you had quite the prolific football career, playing yes. college football at the University of Tulsa. Yes. yes. And then later on being part of the Miami Dolphins. So how were you first introduced to football? Because I had no father figure living with my grandparents. Oh, my grandfather was a coal miner and spoke very little English. My uncle was a high school football player. So he introduced me to football, took me out, start, he was basically like a father to me, started teaching me how to throw a football, what to do football. So that's in, that interest from him grew to where it wound up. I just loved football and have played football, have coached football. And uh, it's, it's just part of me. I, um, and luckily, I grew to be 6'6", which really helped. When you're in high school, there's recruits looking for college players. And when you're 6'6", you stand out to the recruits. And pretty soon I had several scholarship offers and mm -hmm. it took me to get, we wouldn't afford, my parents could not afford college. So the scholarship took me to college and I got an education thanks to football. And I owe football my life for that. Yeah. Yeah. And Bob, you you were telling about the university and the scholarships, and you also studied fiction writing and English literature. So have you yeah. always wanted to be a writer? Because it was completely a career, completely different that you were starting. Completely, hmm? especially when you're six six, two hundred and eighty pounds. You not look like you don't look like an author. You don't look like an academic person. You oh. look like somebody that ought to be lifting weights and being a bouncer at a nightclub. Oh. Uh, so I took my English literature classes after I well while I lived in California. I knew I'm going to retire someday, so I started taking a lot of online literature and English classes on how to write. And there was a gentleman there who had a lot of courses where you submitted your work and he returned and critiqued it. I did that for years. And he taught me a lot about fiction writing, how to construct uh, a story, how to build characters, how to build tension. And then when we retired and I started writing then part-time, then when we retired to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I enrolled in Tulsa again as uh, a student in, a, in the education for, uh, for adults. And they have a number of English literature classes and political science, but mostly English and British literature I studied. Poetry reading, reading the classics. And uh, that taught me, I, I had the education, now I read some great authors and that kicked me off. I said, I think I can write a book. So Mass Transit now is my third book, and I've got several more in the pipeline, and I'm continuing to always learn. But it was the University of Tulsa that really put me in touch with the great literature that I think it really helps a writer 
to understand what a Chaucer, what a uh, Longfellow, what uh, the great poets. And I learned a lot from reading the great poets and how they put words, how they can how they construct a sentence and give it some flow and meaning, not just a, a noun and a verb, but give it a little flow and build a little tension and keep it entertaining and keep the reader turning pages, of course. So Absolutely. Your book is called Mass Transit. Yes, yes. And can you quickly tell us what the book is about? It's a lady who was an actress on Broadway, uh, become, starting to become successful, and there was a stage accident. So she lost her career as an actress, uh, became a Pinkerton detective for a little while, and then she became her own private eye. And, and remember, this, this book is set, well, you can't remember, you don't, haven't read it yet, but it's set in 1957. Uh, around the time Sputnik is up there, a lot of upheaval right after World War II. And uh, men were in charge of the world, basically. Uh, and so Bertie dares to become a private eye, which there were very few police women in New York, much less even a private eye. So she takes that role and she lands a case and it involves a Broadway producer. His daughter is accidentally killed mistakenly killed and he hires her because of her former attachment to broadway and she goes after the killer which uh, he's a psychotic transit cop actually and uh, she turns out she's living next to him in a boatyard in brooklyn uh, so she doesn't know this and she's living next to this psychotic killer and at the same time, the psychotic killer is recruited by a New York policeman to solve uh, the, uh, the problem they're having with Russian crime, which the Russian crime mob is just moving into Brooklyn, into Brighton Beach, taken over at that time uh, when Khrushchev just released hundreds of thousands of people, Russian people, when they migrated to the United States. Most of them were nice law and order people, but there were some criminals in the bunch. And so this cop wants to break up that mob and he's using, unbeknownst to the cop, he's using the killer as his uh, source of information. And so this cop keeps Bertie from finding the, he detracts her from finding the uh, real killer. And Bertie eventually plants some evidence, which is good evidence, but no good in a court because she's contaminated it. She plants the evidence and eventually the bad guy's found, but there's a mysterious ending to it. It's kind of a supernatural uh, ending where an archangel of death appears and kind of does a few mysterious things and the problem's solved and a little bit of it is, is unsolved that I'm using maybe for another book. But Bertie eventually finds the killer and becomes her own woman, uh, becomes successful, and it leads to more cases. But I enjoyed using a lady uh, who, by the way, I, I used my daughter, mm. and she, who's a CPA in California, and my wife. And I mixed their personalities. My wife is very gentle. My daughter is very aggressive. And I brought them together into Birdie. So uh, they're a, a compilation of the two in my life. So when I uh, 
I say I really love Birdie as a character, and I really do. Uh, and maybe that's just because there's so much of my daughter and so much of my wife in her that I just, I, I love Birdie and I love writing her. And uh, I want to give her a little bit of characteristic uh, as a male would have, as far as wanting certain things that a man would want. And it's okay for a woman to want them too. But in the fifties, women weren't allowed to like the same thing a men like because they weren't supposed to. Men ruled the world. So I wanted to give Birdie a chance to rule the world. And so I dearly love writing about her. And I have Mass Transit and I have two more books to follow. If if Mass Transit does well and the publisher keeps going, uh, I've got a couple in the pipeline for them. And my agent thinks they will. And uh, it's up to the publisher, though, but my, my agent is right now is helping me edit my second book. So I have more birdie books in the series in case anybody's wondering. I'm not surprised to know that you were inspired by your wife and daughter. When you were telling us, uh, me before the interview we start, I said, wow, he loves her so much. Why? <laughs> Why he loves Birdie Kelly so much? So you use supernatural events in your writing. Why is yes. that? Why? It's okay. It's very mild. It's not quite up there with Stephen King, uh, who we're all familiar with, who is very, very supernatural. Mine is a softer supernatural. And I like that. And I use it in all my books, even before Birdie Kelly. I think it just gives a little hint of mystery and something I can throw it in and it's unexpected and I don't have to do a lot of justification on why it happened because it's supernatural and it just happens mm -hmm. and but I try to give it a little twist I it's supernatural but it for at the beginning and through the book it could be an occurrence that is just happening because it's it's just a quirk or it's a coincidence, and it could be uh, supernatural, or it could be just a strange happening that could have happened maybe in a rare case, but it happened. So I leave it kind of in the balance, so you really don't know. But when I get to the end, I make it clear that, yes, this wasn't coincidence, but I try to keep it balanced until the end. Then I spring it on you that it was. So mm -hmm. it's not the whole part of the story, but it's at the very end, it plays a role in the conclusion. And I just like reading a lot of mysteries. I like a lot of the authors who use a little quirky things or little mystery things. There's a man named Kuntz who does that a lot in his books. And it's not heavy like King, but Kuntz puts a little supernational. So I guess because I read so many of those books, I'm influenced by it. I think if anybody that writes is influenced by someone else. Uh, yeah. Janet Ivanovich influences me too because she is a uh, person who wants a life, but she's a tough lady who was willing to fight, but has a soft side to her too. And so I like reading Janet Ivanovich. We've got her whole series of books on our bookshelves. So thank you. And being an ex-athlete, you have a certain level of sportsmanship and knowing how to win, but also how to lose. 
So Bob, how does this tie into your way of reacting to critics? Okay, well, I'm not afraid to lose, first of all. Uh, I have to admit, though, I, I to react to a critic sometime, I do take it a little bit. And then my first internal reaction is to spar and to jump back at them and throw a quip here and there and think to my, this is all internal. Ah, oh, I could injure you back with words. And I, I do my best to curb that and just take it. And, um, but it's going to be there uh, because I open myself to critics because I belong to a book a review club who we read each other's, we're all writers and we meet on a Monday at a nice church and we critique each other. And it's, it's not one that we just sit and drink tea and eat cookies. We, we take each other's work apart. We don't like this. We say this, you could have did that. So I'm, I'm met with seven or eight critics every Monday who criticize a certain element of my writing, which in some cases it's very valid. In some cases, it's only a little valid, but I listen to all of it and I learn from it. So listen to a critic, uh, learn from the critic because there's going to be some exaggeration in that criticism and there's going to be some truth in that criticism. And it's not bad just because we don't like it. And I think I don't like it, but I take it and listen to it. And then I bring the critique home because they write it out and I make the fix. And so I think a critic is good. It keeps me honest. When I'm writing, I'm thinking, all right, the critic, they're going to tear this apart because it's not right. I, because I want to be a lazy writer sometimes. Sometimes I just want to take that sentence and that paragraph and I can just zip right through it and I'll maybe omit a great description or some other thought that my, my character should have had. But I just might be lazy and I'm tired and I'll just be, I just go right through it. But I know. As soon as I write it, they're going to tear it apart when they get that when I get there Monday. So I really they they keep me honest well in advance of their criticism because I know it's going to come because it makes me be truthful with myself. Yeah. And uh, so I I take the critics. I did it in athletics. I did it. In, I'm doing it in writing. We do it in school. We all don't make a hundred on our papers. Some people do, but I didn't. Yeah. And. Uh, so we just take the critics and see them as an asset. And that's what my writers group, who are hard critics, mm -hmm. they for me in a way, and I help them in a way. So critics right. are good. We need them. We need them. Yeah, I agree with you. And Bob, is there a message you would like to leave to our listeners today? Uh, the message I have is, and when I started writing books, I thought of this. I said, you know, I'm 76 years old. When I started writing, it was like 21 years ago. And I wanted to write when I'm retired because I might be infirmed. I may not be able to do the things I wanted to do physically. But doggone it, I think somehow I can sit in front of a keyboard or a typewriter. and My mind is working and I can put words down and I can write. So don't let age or anything that's going on with your system or your body stop you find something you like and do it and age should not be a factor find something in life that you like and i i found writing is part of my life and i can do it till 
you know, they put me in the casket, I suppose, but find something in life and just do it and put your energy into it. Don't do it halfway. Be good at something. And I, I'm, I'm getting good at writing only because I write at it every day. So yeah. that's my advice. Find something and stick to it. <laughs> I'm hey. trying and I'm trying. <laughs> I love your advice, and I hope our listeners will follow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And Bob, where can we find you online, find your book and your... Okay, well, I'm easy to find. It's bobjoswick.com, bobjoswick.com. That's my website, uh, and there will be some links in there on Facebook, and I'm on uh, my, my publisher is uh, Black Rose Publishing, and their address is in my website. And I, you can find me on Amazon. My book is released there. And also on uh, Barnes Noble, Goodreads, and any of the other sites. And actually, officially, it's released Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving. But they're up for pre-sale now, either in hardcover or in ebook. And the ebook is uh, $7 right now. So it's, you know, until I become Stephen King, then it'll jump to maybe 30. But right now, I think it's a bargain. And it's a great yeah. story. And I think it'll keep you all night. You'll stay up all night reading it. Uh, that's a biased opinion. <laughs> yeah, I will check out your book on Amazon. <laughs> and I hope when you become a Stephen King, you come back to the RV. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. Okay. I wish I had the talent Stephen King has. Yes. Nobody knows. Everything is possible. You never know what's around the corner. So yeah. walk, keep walking, keep going. It could be good, it could be bad, but you don't, you never find out if you don't get up out of bed, get up out of your chair and go do something. Exactly. And Bob, <laughs> I am looking forward to knowing more about your next book and also well, okay. about Birdie Kelly next time you come. I love her so much. I, 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 I want to share her with the world. So thanks for talking to me today. And I look forward to meeting again. Yes, yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, Bob. Okay, bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.